Hey, BSN Denver listeners. We're really excited to tell you about some game-changing coffee. Strava Craft is the CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. Their reviews are incredible. Make sure you check them out today. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS, and has helped decrease anxiety. You name it. CBD is all natural. It's also not psychoactive. And the coffee is rich and tasty. We could not recommend it anymore to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use the promo code BSN2019 at checkout to get your StravaCraft coffee for 20% off and shipped straight to your door. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumwood. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in LA. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? We was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your host, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. What's up? Welcome to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We are presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations, or you guys can browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. You can also reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Tuesday edition of the show, Harrison Wynn and Christian Clark here to preview Game 5 at Pepsi Center. Also talk about some trends we saw in Game 4 and maybe some adjustments that Denver made that we'll probably see again here in a pivotal Game 5. First off, how are you feeling about this game? Because Denver clearly got the momentum in this series, but a part of me is always a little worried about Greg Popovich, especially coming off of a loss. And typically how you see series that are really competitive and close go, and this has felt more like a 4-5 series, not a 2-7. A lot of times you see those series go every other, like the Nuggets win a game, then the Spurs win a game, the Nuggets win a game, then the Spurs get one. So that would mean the Spurs get game five. I think Denver wins this one because they're at home and they've got some nice momentum right now. How do you feel about this game? Yeah, I mean, the Popovich factor, like you said, is the only thing that really worries me. I mean, any Popovich coach team coming off a butt whooping, I expect to, to come out with a lot of fire and look really focused. You know, if if, if this, this Spurs roster was even coached by, by just a good coach, let's say like Dave Yeager, then I would really like the, the Nuggets' chances of closing this out in six. But because it is Popovich, I feel like this thing is going seven. I think it's going seven, too. Unless Denver... I don't know. I could see a scenario where Denver wins in six. Because as we'll get into in a second, like when De- Denver has looked like themselves, they've blown San Antonio out of the water. But that's the thing with the playoffs. You're sometimes not going to look like yourself when you're that young team who's there for the first time. And sometimes you're not going to shoot it as well as you have at the beginning of the season when it's your first time in a higher-intensity environment like the playoffs. And I think Denver is definitely over the maybe jolt of energy or the excitement factor that we saw in parts of the first two games. And they just look like a much more mature team right now than they did in games one and two. 
Maybe that's why I feel like they could take this thing in six. But if I was a betting man, I'd say seven. Yeah, game four felt like such a growing up moment for this Nuggets roster. Um, you know, when we look back at this team, it feel like it feels like that will be a significant moment where they really figured some things out in the postseason mm-hmm. and they're able to just look like themselves. I agree, but man, I could see them closing out in six. I don't. I don't know. That's what I predicted originally. I probably should just stick by it. Yeah. Maybe the one prediction you're going to get right this year. <laughs> I think we do have to spend a second and just talk about maybe the significance of that win. Maybe we didn't spend enough time on it, but San Antonio is just not a place where Denver wins, especially in a playoff environment. Denver had dropped 14 straight there. That was the biggest reason why ahead of game four, I thought they were going to drop this one, just making a prediction you know, sitting around a table in the press lounge at AT&T Center. I thought Denver was going to lose this game because of the fact that it's just so tough to win there. And coming off of that game three, I didn't quite know where Denver was at. Although early on, I think we got a good feel, especially in that second quarter that the Nuggets were in a good place. But that is just an intimidating arena. I mean, you saw it there for those two games. It's a tough place to win. Those fans are loud. They know how to cheer for their team. And I agree. This was a big growing up moment for the Nuggets. And there's a lot of flashbulb memories, I'll say, when you look at just the rise of this team and how they've developed into what I think is going to be a top Western Conference contender for years to come. You've got the December 15th moment, maybe that game winner over Oklahoma City, a couple others mixed in here or there from this season. Jokic's record triple-double from last year, a bunch that happened over the last few months. That definitely seemed like one of them, too. And, you know, it, it was consistent with what we've seen from this Nuggets team this year. They, they've really responded any time adversity has hit. Mm-hmm. 54 wins, despite being mo- among the most banged-up teams in the entire NBA. You know, they they have the third or fourth youngest roster in, in the entire NBA, so resiliency has kind of been a calling card of this team all year in game four is another example. So we'll see what happens in game five. Trying to see a line here on, I would say Denver is what going to be a slight favorite. They are, they can't be favored by more than a couple points in this game five, but I would assume Denver's the favorite because they're at home. Uh, So it should be a great game. Crowd's going to be crazy. Do you have the line there? Nuggets by five and a half points at home. Wow, five and a half. So maybe a bit more than I thought, but maybe the lines makers are thinking what we've been saying, that Denver's looked like itself here recently. You know what number I like even more than five and a half? 7.30. That's what time this one starts. Maybe we won't be up until four in the morning. (laughs) You know, NBA TV, it's not the best channel to be on in the playoffs because if you don't have altitude in Denver – you're getting blacked out, and the NBA TV spot is usually reserved for the the kind of least marketable series, and Denver and San Antonio, I think, fit that bill. But, yeah, I'm glad they're not at 8.30 on TNT or ESPN for sure. Looking back to Game 4 real quick, and we've got a couple questions I'm going to get to on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. One from after Game 3, which is still giving us some ammunition to talk about here ahead of Game 5, and also another one after game four uh, with some good talking points ahead of Tuesday's matchup. One of my big takeaways from game four was how the Nuggets held Derek White in check. And this was a guy who, of course, killed Denver in game three. He had a 
career high in points, 36 on 15 of 21 shooting. Michael Malone said his team looked like a bunch of ticket takers prior to game four, just based off of that game three performance, how San Antonio had 62 points in the paint, how Derek White had 12 of his 15 field goals from less than eight feet away from the basket. Most of those just came on straight line drives. And I was curious to see how the Nuggets would react. Well, they put Gary Harris on Derek White. They, of course, moved Torrey Craig into the starting lineup, put him on DeMar DeRozan. And so Jamal Murray is guarding Bryn Forbes, which I think is the right call there. And you saw Denver really bottle up Derek White. And he really wasn't able to get into an offensive rhythm. He, he really wasn't able to shoot the three like he had in game three specifically. What do you maybe just remember most about how Denver really was able to bottle up Derek White? And do you think it's replicable in game five? Yeah, I do. Because, look, Derek White is a good player. I, I respect his game a lot. I would, I would want him to be a part of this Nuggets roster. I think he'd be great on this team. He's a guy who, if I was playing, I would want to play with. I think he plays hard. He doesn't really care about accolades. But he's a, he's a flawed player. Like, this is a guy who really, really wants to go to his right and get to the rim. And if you can prevent him from doing that, if you can even make him go left and try to finish that left hand, he's not going to be nearly as effective. If you can make him settle for the three-pointer, he's not going to be nearly as effective. So I don't think he's a guy that has a ton of counters as, as talented as he is. Right, and we've been saying this the whole series. Even though he's killed Denver, he's not like an overly elite driver. He's not an elite three-point shooter. He's just a typical spur, a guy who's got a really high IQ, who's going to do what he's good at, and that's driving to the right and just kind of using his body to draw contact. And he's obviously a great defender, but when just talking about what he can and can't do on the offensive end, he's not a guy who should be going off for 20 and 30 points against the Nuggets in a playoff setting. The biggest adjustment and the biggest reason why I think Denver was able to hold him in check was they moved Gary Harris onto him and Gary just did a great job of shading Derek White to his left hand and he was really high up on his right hip forcing him left even when there was a screen he was really forcing you know Aldridge to set that screen so Derek White had to go to his left and just played more aggressive physical defense on him than really Jamal Murray provided. Yeah, I mean, it was a great move by Michael Malone, one that it absolutely needed to happen. Those are those are just better matchups for both guys. I mean, Gary is, is better suited to guard Ger- Derek White. I think Gary's the team's best perimeter defender. I think he's just a hair above Torrey Craig, in my opinion. And Jamal Murray, I mean, that's just a lot more favorable for him, even if chasing Bryn Forbes around screens isn't the most fun job in the world. I mean, look, Derek White... I respect him. I have a ton of respect for him. He averaged 9.9 points per game during regular season. Yeah, that's what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, that's just a guy. I mean, you just can't allow that guy to, to have a 34-piece in a playoff series. He wasn't doing anything crazy in game three. He was straight line driving to his right hand, sometimes throwing a spin move in there, using a pick and just kind of getting half a step on Jamal Murray and then just using his size to propel past Murray. It wasn't anything fancy. Yeah, and I've said multiple times this year, I think Denver's biggest weakness still is defending out on the perimeter. Yeah. I think Jamal Murray, I, you know, even if he is inconsistent on the offensive end, I think that's the area of his game that he I need to see the most growth in. He just needs to be able to contain a little bit better. I mean, the Nuggets are, are fortunate that they could switch those two up and, you know, Murray can hang with, with Bryn Forbes. But, you know, let's just pretend like 
The Nuggets advance, and so do the Trailblazers, who are up 3-1 to one right now. Murray's likely going to have to guard CJ McCollum or Dame Lillard unless you want to stick him on Aminu or, or something like that. Right. So there are going to be times in the playoffs where there's nowhere to hide, really. Yeah, and Murray should be a better perimeter defender. I mean, he really should. He's got the size, 6'3 and a half, maybe 6'4. He's as tall or, or going to be taller than most of the other point guards he's matching up against. He should just be a better perimeter defender uh, than he is. I do agree that Gary Harris is their best perimeter defender. I think he's by far their best perimeter defender. And the injuries have definitely robbed him of what could have been a really good defensive season from him. I want to play some sound from Michael Malone from Monday's practice. I asked him, what was the difference on Derek White? He hit on Gary Harris, and he hit on something else that I want to get into as well. So here's what Michael Malone had to say when I posed that question to him here Monday morning. You make that adjustment to put uh, Gary on Derek White in that game four. What did you like about how, how just Gary made it difficult for him the whole night? Well, I like that Derek White didn't score 36 points. Sure. You know what I mean, it was uh, game three. It was a Derek White highlight film or horror show, depending on what vantage point you're looking <laughs> at it. And it was just layup after layup. And so Torrey goes on to Rosen, Gary goes on White. And it's just a much different feel for Derek White. You've got a much more aggressive defender. Uh, we changed some things up in how we guarded him, not just who. And uh, we did a better job of containing his you know, right-hand drives. He's going right. He's going to go right and spin. And he got to the cup way too easy in game three. And really for the first three games, he's playing at a high level. So I'm sure he'll bounce back. Listen, we've got young players. He's a young player. The playoffs, what he's going through is like Jamal's going through. There's great moments. There's some learning moments. And I'm sure coming back in game five, he's got pride just like Jamal did after game three. I'm sure we'll see a lot more aggressive Derek White come tomorrow. So I liked a lot of things that Mike Mullen had to say there. Another area where I saw Denver switch things up and how they stopped what Malone referred to as the Derek White horror show, at least from his vantage point and the Nuggets, they played Jokic a bit higher up on the floor in those pick and rolls. And even when there weren't pick and rolls, I felt like Jokic showed quicker, you know, coming off of his man and just providing a little bit of a barrier or, or just kind of a little bit more of a presence higher up the floor when White was going to his right or left hand. So just to kind of deter him a little from getting to the basket. And I think this also goes into the discussion of how well Jokic has played on the defensive end of the floor, but he's moved really well. But I did feel like Denver used its bigs, like Jokic and Millsap, to just show a little bit more and just kind of put the thought in the back of Derek's mind a bit more often that there's an extra body that he's got to think about when he's going to the lane. And so you didn't see as many of those straight line drives to the basket where it was just Derek White and Jamal Murray one-on-one. He got some help. He got more of a presence, I felt, from Denver's bigs was, was a good adjustment. And I'm sure you're going to see it more in game five as well. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess I didn't really notice that uh, upon a rewatch or anything, but it makes sense. I mean, the Spurs... They don't exactly have guys who are over-the-top threats. They're big men. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge and Yaka Pirtle aren't, like, lob finishers, even though LaMarcus Aldridge did have one in this game off an offensive rebound, like your Clint Capella or, or Rudy Gobert types that can, can really hurt you if you if you send your bigs up up the floor a little bit on pick and roll. So I think that's something that, that Denver can probably get away with. I also asked Jokic that same question here on Monday, just what did Denver do a little differently to really contain White. Here's what he had to say. 
Nicole, um, Derek White had a career high in, in Game 3, and you guys really held him in check in Game 4. What did you do differently in the last game? We, to be honest, we were just aggressive. They, he lived in our paint. They, they, uh, he was, like, literally, he had, like, 10 open layups. Like, nobody was near him. So, we thought he cannot play. That's a lie. I mean, everybody who, who can, who is here, he can play, you know. So, uh, but we kind of help of him too much, you know. But he's a, he's a great player, of course. Uh, he's a starting point in the playoff team, and and Pop is giving him a lot of chance to play. So, you see something with him. But we were just aggressive, and we we, we kind of pay a little bit more attention to him. So yeah, much of the same there from Nicole Jokic, but I think good points from both Malone and Jokic, and I think we could probably see a similar strategy on Derek White in Game 5. Let's hit a break real quick. A lot more I want to get to on today's show. Got a couple questions from the fan hotline to get to as well. We'll be right back. If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets podcast. We're presented by The Green Solution. Visit mygreensolution.com. Type in promo code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Tuesday edition of the show, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark here. Something really cool about the Nuggets going up against the Spurs in a first-round series is of course, Denver's trying to emulate the Spurs and the organization and just the run of sustained success that they've had over the last 20 years. The Spurs have made the playoffs for, I think, 22 years in a row. It's an astounding statistic right there that's run generations of NBA players. But I feel like the Nuggets have a superstar right now who has a lot of the same qualities that Tim Duncan did. Now, obviously, the guy that I think deserves the most credit for kind of shaping the Spurs culture and what they are today. Popovich had a lot to do with that, but I think it was Duncan who kind of set the footsteps there. And Jokic has said before that he could envision himself as being the Nuggets version of Tim Duncan, saying he wants to play with this organization for the rest of his career. And so I think there's some cool parallels here. Do you think he resembles kind of uh, Tim Duncan's presence, maybe a bit on the court and kind of off the court as well? Yeah, I, I definitely think there are some parallels personality-wise. You know, I think one of the, maybe the main reasons that Greg Popovich was able to just lay into players um, was because Tim Duncan was willing to take coaching. He was willing to accept coaching. And I, I just think that's so crucial for an NBA franchise when, you know, your, your clear-cut franchise guy 
is, is willing to, to get yelled at and, and get better and not think, you know, he's just above everyone else. And I think Nicole Jokic is similar in that way. Um, you know, I think San Antonio's unselfish ethos, a lot of that had to do with Duncan. I think Denver's definitely has to do with Nicole Jokic and, yeah, there are a lot of differences in their game, but I see a lot of similarities too. I mean, both are very fundamentally sound guys. Mm-hmm. Duncan's go-to shot, you know, either that bank shot or, or just him getting his body into you and taking a simple hook shot. Nikola Jokic loves that shot too, man. Yeah, and what you said about their personalities was spot on, I think. Kind of the quiet leadership that Duncan had, I think we're going to see a lot of that from Jokic over the next five, ten years, which... I would assume he's going to spend in Denver unless things just go awry here. And we've talked about how culture starts from the top down. I think it starts from ownership and obviously your front office. But day-to-day in the locker room, it's really on your star player to set the table and set the culture day in and day out on the practice court. I think Jokic does that and in a similar way, I'm guessing, to how Tim Duncan did. You know uh, Tim Duncan just retired w- without a whole lot of fanfare and just runs an auto body shop in San Antonio. He runs an auto body shop? Yeah, yeah, that's his thing. Well, Nikola Jokic is just going to retire, not tell anybody, and just go back to Serbia and run a, a horse farm. Right, he's just going to go back and just run that track all day. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities with the two there. Jokic says that he studied Duncan's footwork growing up. In Serbia, watching YouTube highlights of Tim Duncan, it's one of the guys he's modeled his game after. He had a cool little soundbite today. One of the writers from San Antonio asked him about going up against Tim Duncan and what he remembers. Here's what he had to say. I mean, the guy is the best, probably the top two of top three power forwards in the, in the game ever. So ever. And he won five? Five, yeah. I mean, he's and he's uh, how he even I mean he, uh, I play against him in my first year. He could not move that much in that, that period, but he gave me easy twenty. Like I did not touch him. Like I couldn't do nothing. He just like just uh, for fighting for the position, just um, uh, pivots, all kind of easy shots, uh, finding an open space, uh, setting a screen. Uh, uh, you can just watching him, you can learn a lot of him. So great stuff from Jokic there. The game he's talking about, he had 23 on Duncan. He actually came off the bench in this game in a Nuggets win over the Spurs in 2015-16. Jokic's rookie year, Duncan's final season, the two matched up twice. The other game that Jokic is referencing, Duncan had 21 on him at the end of the season. I love that Jokic was so delighted about a guy just not moving and still be able to go for 20. Right. I wonder if after those two matchups, he was like, oh, I really don't have to move that much to be a great player in this league. Yeah, I wonder if he was like, what's the least amount of energy you have to expend in a mid-December game and still score 20? <laughs> right. So I think it's great that there's some similarities there. And I mean, Tim Duncan was obviously the perfect superstar and a Hall of Famer probably the best power forward of all time and just the guy who totally shaped the organizational culture in San Antonio. Obviously, Denver hopes that if Jokic can do half of that, uh, they'll be set for the next decade. Maybe if he can only even do a quarter of that, they'll, they'll be in a good spot here. But I want to get to one question on the Total Beverage Fan Hotline about Jokic and 
how Denver's playing defense on LaMarcus Aldridge this series. This question came after game three, but it still ties into what to look for over the rest of this series. So let's go there right now. Hey, it's Noah from Phoenix. After a uh, pretty frustrating uh, loss to the Spurs in game three, I uh, had a couple things on my mind. One, I just had to ask if you guys are seeing anything that I'm not as far as the coaching goes on why it's necessary to double LaMarcus Aldridge. Now, I can see from the Spurs' point of view, you want to take advantage of Denver's inconsistent three-point shooters on the perimeter and make Jokic pass out. Because if not, Jokic is going to do damage in the post. But for LaMarcus Aldridge shooting mid-range jumpers, I think that you live with contested mid-range jumpers because right now he's looking almost like Jokic where he's passing the ball out to either Bryn Forbes, who's getting wide-open three-pointers, or Derek White, who is attacking the closeout and getting wide-open layups. And I just don't understand why we would settle for those shots instead of a LaMarcus Aldridge contested mid-range jumper. And I know LaMarcus is a great player, but I would much rather have that. So I'm curious if you guys think that this is also a strategy that needs to be abandoned because I think you can't go and give up these looks that they're giving up in game four, a pivotal game four. And then my other question is, do you think that there has to be something done to the rotation? I know in the last podcast uh, Harrison talked about possibly staggering minutes to where you always had either Jokic or Millsap on the floor. And I don't know if it was because of foul trouble, but there were obviously times where Millsap and Jokic were off the floor, but Jamal Murray was in uh, with the second union. And Jamal Murray just cannot, again, cannot get it going. They bottled him up. And especially for him and Gary Harris, another thing I noticed was that every time Derek White and Bryn Forbes are going underneath the dribble handoff and they're getting around to the other side, and I don't know if they're just nervous or they're rushing it, but they're going right into the defender on the other side of the dribble handoff instead of, you know, stopping, reading the defense, and pulling up that three and using Jokic as a screen. So I definitely want to hear your guys' thoughts on what can be done defensively if they need to just go back to guarding man and living with the shots that LaMarcus Aldridge are take or not. So uh, hopefully they, they get it together and Malone comes out with – some type of game plan for game four and we can get a win in San Antonio because it'll be a much needed win. But uh, other than that, go Nuggets and uh, let's definitely go get this win in San Antonio. All right. Thanks, Noah, for the call, man. So I think the second part of that question is settled. Denver made some tweaks to their rotation. I think they're pretty happy with what happened in game four, obviously. Your earlier point, though, no, the Nuggets don't need to double LaMarcus Aldridge at all. Uh, they should be playing single coverage with him really throughout the entire game. Maybe unless they're in some really bad foul trouble and Jokic and Millsap both have four or five fouls late in the third, early in the fourth quarter. Maybe then you bring some double teams to help them out. But the Nuggets should not be scared of Marcus Aldridge. Through four games, Aldridge is averaging 0.66 points per possessions on post-ups. That's not a good statistic at all. That's not really high efficiency at all. He's also averaging only 0.86 points on spot-up opportunities too. So he hasn't been terribly efficient. He's hurt Denver in spots. But 
I think you live with those LaMarcus Aldridge 18 footers. I think you live with those post ups. And Jokic has also shown that he can guard Aldridge in the post, too. So are you with me in the sense that under really only extreme circumstances, they should look to double? Yeah, I, I think single coverage is the best play. Jokic has proved that he can handle him one-on-one, and I think Paul Millsap is fine in, in spurts against him. I was, a, I was a lot more worried about Aldridge after those regular season games. I mean, he hurt Denver in some of those regular season games, really given some issues. I've been impressed and a little bit surprised with how well Denver has been able to, to keep him in check. Did we ever get any clarification why he just didn't play the fourth quarter in game four? You're not going to get any from Pop, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think any, I, don't, I haven't seen anything develop from that. Yeah, I mean the Spurs beat writers asked Pop after the game, and uh, they got some sarcastic response, and then Pop just said that he wasn't hurt, so it was a benching. I mean, I, I'm not. Is sure. that one where you dare follow up at practice the next day? Uh, that's one where you're glad we cover the Nuggets and not the Spurs. <laughs> exactly. Jokic also deserves a ton of credit this series, how he's defended. Denver's top two guys in terms of defensive rating, Gary Harris, 105.1. I don't think any big surprise there. Number two is Jokic at 105.8. Defensive rating-wise, he's got the second-best rating on the Nuggets, and Denver has had a 105.8 defensive rating, obviously, when he's been off the floor, a 124.7 defensive rating when he's off. I think some of that has to do with Denver's bench has been a bit up and down this series. Mason Plumley hasn't really been a factor, but Jokic deserves a ton of credit for how he's defended Aldridge. He's been really stout in the post, kind of using his strength, not letting Aldridge really gain any ground when he's been trying to back him down. He's been really solid on the glass as well. And it's been gone a bit under the radar, just how effective he's been defensively, I think. We've got one more question to get to from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. I want to remind you guys, if you got a question for the show, 1-800-BSN-8394. 1-800-BSN-8394. If you've never called before, it's just an answering machine, so leave your name, leave where you're calling from, leave a question for us. Before we move on, though, a quick word from Houselift. Are any of you guys thinking about selling your home, but it's not in tip-top condition? How do you ensure that you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stresses of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, with Houselift, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right. You won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything from the contractors to the design while managing these costs. So here's what you need to do if you want to get involved with Houselift. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at Houselift Colorado. Of course, their website is houseliftcolorado.com. And check out their incredible remodels that Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from fifteen dollars to $60,000 more in their clients' pockets. So give them a call, 303-885-7888 today. Find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, They'll sell your home without charging a listing commission as well. So check those guys out, houseliftcolorado.com or on their Facebook page at Houselift Colorado. Got one more question to get to from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. Let's go there right now. Hey, hey it's Chris in Denver. I uh, hope, uh, hope Harrison and Christian had a good trip down to San Antonio and make it back okay. Um, I want to talk about this series. I mean, it's, the series is, is even a two apiece, but really I – 
think that Denver's really outplayed them throughout the mo- most of the series. Um, I mean, it's easy to look at like some of some of their struggles at times and say, oh, you know, this team's young, they, they can't do it. You know, they still need a few things. You know, these players need to step up. Some of these guys aren't who they thought they were. And, you know, quite frankly, I just don't think there's an empirical argument that would support that. Um, in A1, they shot, like, they shot, what, in the 20s from from three from the three-point range? Over the regular season, the worst three-point shooting team in the league shot 33 to 34%. So... In game one, if they just shot as poorly as the worst three-point shooting team in the league, they win that game. Game two, it was the same until they took over in the fourth and Pop brought out the bench. Game three, I'll I'll concede that San Antonio played better in game three, but Denver lost by 10 in a game where they missed 11 free throws and in a game where San Antonio took 11 more free throws than they did. They were in it all the way up to the fourth quarter. I think they even had a lead in the fourth quarter, if I recall correctly. They should have left with a much bigger lead at the, with a with a lead with sizable lead at the half, but it seemed like the air was committing fouls and the officiating's been atrocious all season, but all series, but that's it's probably a lot of other teams that feel that too, and I think they have a point. And then in game four, they they were only losing when they were missing shots at the rim. So, you know, typically shots at the rim are high-percentage shots. They're missing high-percentage shots, and this doesn't seem like something this team does. So, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like they've, they've played better. They've created the better shots, largely played the better defense. I mean, I know Jamal Murray had an aberrantly bad defensive game. I, I, against Derek White, I don't think he's that bad of a defender. But overall, I I think they've played better. I think there's a a few mental execution things that they need to fix. But I don't know. I'm I'm feeling good if the series comes back to Denver. I I know when this team wins, they look unstoppable. When they lose, blow it up. Can't do it. Can't win the big one. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's probably a lot of other teams that could say that too. Uh, I know the Pacers probably think they played better than getting swept and I'd agree with them. So, I don't know. I'm curious your thoughts. What are the adjustments the Nuggets make, and what are the adjustments that Pop makes down the stretch? Thanks for the question, Chris. I think you're right in this regard. If Denver had shot the ball anywhere close to their season average or even slightly below their season average in game one, if they had just made one more three, they're probably up 3-1 in this series right now. And if they shoot well in game five, they'll probably win. If they shoot well in game six and game seven, they'll probably win. That's what's probably going to determine, for me at least, the next couple games here, if Denver is able to hit threes. Yeah, and Nicole Jokic said after game four, the pocket was there. He was referring to you know, the pick and roll. The Nuggets were really able to, to get him the ball, and I think that was a key for Denver in that game, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot more space to operate because Denver you know, knocked down 15 threes and just shot it so well. You know, I, I don't think you expect Torrey Craig to, ha- to have another game like that shooting the ball from outside. He shot it well lately. But on the other hand, I, I think that a guy like Gary Harris could, could definitely shoot it better. Um, you know, I thought he had a positive impact game for you. Didn't do a whole lot offensively. So Denver was a middle-of-the-pack three-point shooting team. And, you know, 
as, as simple as it is to say, I mean, yeah, if they're knocking those threes down and, and creating that space for Nicole Jokic inside, then I don't see the Spurs beating them. Jamal Murray was my biggest X factor coming into this series, and he's been exactly that through four games. When he's played well, the Nuggets have won. When he hasn't played well, they've lost. He goes 8-23 from the floor, 0-6 from three, 17 points, but did not do it on good efficiency. Denver fell in game one. He went 8-17 from the field, obviously had the big fourth quarter in game two, finished with 24 points. Denver got the win. He really struggled in game three on both ends of the floor, guarding Derek White, getting good offense with White guarding him, finished with six points, two of six shooting in Denver, lost, and then had a great game four. Probably his best all-around game of the series. Definitely his best all-around game of the series. 24 points, six assists, one turnover, eight of 14 from the field, three of five from three. Denver wins pretty easily. So he's the X factor for me. We've talked about it all year. He's the biggest swing player on this roster. When he's playing well, the Nuggets are an elite team, arguably the best team in the league. When he's not playing well, they're just a pretty good team. So we'll see if Murray can keep it going in game five. I think he's at home. He's more comfortable at home. He shot the ball better at home this season than on the road. I feel like his head's in a really good place after that game, so I'm expecting another big game from him. We'll see who else shows up, and we'll see if Denver can get this win in Game 5. Thanks for calling in, guys. 1-800-BSN-8394 is the number to call for the Total Beverage Fan Hotline if you've got questions. And with that, we'll be back with another episode on Wednesday, recapping Game 5. Talk to you then. The biggest benefits of CBD are our cognitive, our neuroprotection, neuroregeneration, anti-inflammatory, and then a lot of the most common situations that, that people are taking it are for pain. That is Arthur Jaffe, a former CU Buffs football player and founder of Elixinol, a Colorado-based company focused on providing the highest quality of CBD oil and hemp extracts in the world. Like Arthur mentioned earlier, CBD has significant medical benefits and isn't limited to just athletes. Everyone can take it, from adults and children to even your dog. I wished I would have learned about it or that it would have been more prominent at a younger age to potentially have, have given my father a, a significant opportunity to fight prostate cancer, which ultimately took his life when I was 13. You know, I really think that it would have helped him. Arthur and the folks over at Elixinol's mission is to educate, inspire, and empower others to live naturally healthy, happy lives. To learn more and join the CBD conversation, check out elixinol.com.